Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It is time for the tech news for June 9th, 2022, which is, as I recall, a Thursday. And for those of you who were concerned and reached out, thank you so much. I'm feeling much better now. Uh, my fever already broke, so and I've tested negative for COVID. Thank goodness. So it looks like it was, you know, just a like a little bug that I caught, and I'm on the the better side of it now. Let's get to news that you really care about, and not just me grousing about feeling icky. Okay, according to Rolling Stone magazine, the committee that's investigating the January sixth insurrection here in the United States wants to get access to internal Twitter communications, including messages sent on Slack between Twitter employees in an effort to determine what Twitter was doing to moderate discourse on the platform as it was leading up to the violence that happened on January 6th. Twitter so far has refused to comply with that request, at least to the investigating committee's satisfaction anyway. Uh, Twitter representatives say that the company has already shared some information with this committee. There's been a growing awareness 
that employees at several social networking sites were aware of and concerned about the growing momentum that was indicating that something was going to go down on January 6th. Uh, So presumably the investigative committee wants to see to what extent Twitter employees were concerned and what the company's response to those concerns were. Like, was the company dismissing this because they didn't want to rock the boat or anything like that? Uh, The committee also suspects that participants in the insurrection were using Twitter to coordinate with one another and that perhaps the platform was then a facilitator for the events, although not necessarily an active or willing participant, but, you know, it helped enable that and that perhaps it could have and should have done more to alert authorities about specific plans of action. Twitter has argued that it has a responsibility to protect its employees and that the government demanding access to internal documents could be a violation of the First Amendment. Uh, For those of you who are not in the United States, the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution is the one that guarantees the right of freedom of speech as well as freedom of assembly and religion. In related news, the U.S. state of Connecticut has budgeted to create a special position dedicated to fighting back against, quote, misinformation narratives about voting, end quote. So the job title is Election Information Security Officer, and the budget also includes money that is dedicated to educating various communication platforms, uh, both in old media and new media, on how to recognize and respond to misinformation campaigns, specifically targeting elections. Other states in the U.S. have similar departments like this in place already. Misinformation has become a massive problem in general in the United States. Uh, And elections, of course, are particularly targeted. It's not exclusive, though. We've seen misinformation campaigns about COVID and vaccinations, for example. Now, on a personal note, I wouldn't even know how or where to start in order to fight back against misinformation. It's so prevalent and so invasive, and it, it involves so many different tactics. Uh, I hope that the efforts in Connecticut and elsewhere are effective. I want to see uh, platforms that have trustworthy information on them and people who know that the election process is being done fair and square and not being you know, fed uh, lies that, that suggest otherwise. Because once you start undermining confidence in the system, the system itself breaks down. That's how democracy dies really. Democracy dies when the people no longer have faith that the system is doing what it's supposed to. Uh, it doesn't even, you know, it doesn't have to be real. Like the the system can be working just fine, but if people lose faith in it, then it doesn't matter if the system's working or not. Uh, the, the lack of confidence of the people is what will kill democracy. Sticking with the United States, a collaborative effort involving the FBI, the IRS, and the Department of Justice took down four domains on the web that hosted a marketplace called SSNDOB. That marketplace was essentially a clearinghouse of stolen personal information, including social security numbers and credit card numbers. Uh, The social security numbers explains the SSN bit of the name SSNDOB. The database held information on more than 20 million Americans, and it's been active for several years, uh, perhaps getting started as early as 2013. Though, as you might have guessed, folks who run illegal operations aren't super big on documenting their history of it. The market was known to have pulled in millions of dollars in revenue, a lot of it in cryptocurrency, 
And I haven't seen any information about whether law enforcement has identified the folks who are actually behind the database. So I'm not sure how this will go beyond just shutting down the service. Presumably, you would have to go further or else those who are responsible might just create a new database on another domain and thus only experience a short interruption of services. So I'll keep an eye on this story as it develops. Business Insider reports that Netflix might be making a move to acquire Roku. While Roku was one of the early companies in the streaming business and has a big reputation in creating uh, really good uh, hardware for streaming, like streaming sticks and such, it has been in a slump uh, lately. About a year ago, the stock price for Roku was 80% higher than what it is today. So that's a massive slide, obviously. And Business Insider says that Roku employees have been told that they are not allowed to sell their stock right now. Companies typically will do this when something big is happening behind the scenes. It's usually an effort to prevent employees from engaging in stuff like insider trading. That's when you take advantage of information about a publicly traded company that the general public doesn't have access to, right? So if you know, for example, that company A is going to buy company B, uh, and that hasn't been announced to the general public, it would be illegal for you to try and use that information to your advantage because it's an unfair advantage. It's insider trading. Anyway, if you're wondering what, you know, why does Netflix want Roku in the first place? One big thought is that it isn't so much the hardware side. I mean, Roku does make great streaming platforms, but we're seeing more and more televisions come with that kind of stuff you know, uh, natively installed in them. So as time goes on, things like streaming sticks become less relevant. It may be that Netflix really wants Roku because Roku has advertising on it. So earlier this year, Netflix announced that it was looking into new revenue sources after the company had its first big setback. It had a decrease in the overall subscriber number. And then investor confidence in the company just took a nosedive with that. All it took was one setback and people were out. So one of the revenue sources that Netflix has been looking at is advertising, namely that Netflix would introduce a lower cost subscription tier and that that subscription would be subsidized by including ads in the streamed content. Roku already has an advertising model built out. And in fact, the ads contribute significantly more revenue than hardware sales have. So this might be a case of Netflix purchasing a solution to save itself the trouble of building out one of its own. Now, to be clear, neither Netflix nor Roku have commented on this rumored deal, so it may not even be a thing. An ongoing trend we've been seeing around the world is a move to transition from internal combustion engine vehicles, or ICE vehicles, to electric vehicles, or EVs. The EU Parliament yesterday voted to require automakers to cut CO2 emissions by 100% by 2035. Now, effectively, that means banning the manufacturing of any vehicle running on gasoline or diesel. Now, this is not the same as saying that ICE vehicles would be illegal, but rather that all vehicles made from 2035 on should not be vehicles that emit CO2. This move has to still be approved by the individual EU nations, so it's not a done deal yet. Uh, there has been some resistance to this push, with Germany's automotive industry lobby, VDA, arguing that the mandate would, quote-unquote, hurt innovation. Hurt innovation, to me, 
typically is uh, is like a smokescreen. I see a lot of companies talk about uh, things hurting innovation, which usually just means this will hurt our revenue and not necessarily it'll hurt innovation. In fact, a lot of times you could argue that the status quo is what is hurting innovation. That's some commentary from yours. Truly, I'll just get back to the news now. And it might be that German automakers are really objecting to this largely because they have not been as aggressive in developing alternatives to ICE vehicles as automakers from other parts of the world. So in other words, they're behind when it comes to this and that perhaps that might be part of the reason for the objection. The VDA also argued that the EU lacks sufficient infrastructure to support fleets of EVs. Now, again, to me, that sounds kind of like a cop-out because we are talking about a timeline that's more than a decade out from today. You know, we have 13 years to, to get this sussed out. Now, what I will say is that as it stands, the world is not yet producing enough EV batteries to meet the needs of replacing all new vehicles with EVs. Uh, that's a challenge that we're going to have to overcome or we'll need to see some serious movement on other types of vehicles, such as hydrogen powered ones, you know, fuel cell vehicles, that sort of thing. But that's where it stands right now. Uh, it, EU nations are now poised to determine whether or not they will adopt this approach to ban the sale of new ICE vehicles starting by 2035. When we come back, we'll have a few stories about Tesla and then a couple of others as well. So let's take a break for these messages. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Earlier this week, I did an Elon update. Now, I'm not going to do another one, but I do have a few stories that do relate to Tesla, which of course does relate to Elon Musk. First up is that Reuters reports Tesla will be holding a hiring event in China. Now, if you remember on Tuesday's episode, I talked about how Elon Musk indicated there would be a hiring freeze at Tesla. He then subsequently clarified that he really meant a hiring freeze on the salaried employee or corporate side, not on the hourly employee side, which usually means folks who work in manufacturing plants like, you know, floor workers at factories. Reuters states that this hiring event will concentrate mainly on engineers and managers. So it certainly sounds like salaried jobs to me, but I don't know. Anyway, just interesting to see that while Elon Musk is saying that the company is putting a freeze, uh, it doesn't appear to really be that, at least not globally. Meanwhile, in Germany, the trade union IG Metal has responded to a leaked internal email from Elon Musk that essentially told all Tesla employees would have to work in the office for at least 40 hours a week before they could do any remote work at all. Like he essentially said, if you want to work from home, you can after you put in 40 hours of work at the office. So this union has said, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, hey, buddy, here in Germany, it doesn't work that way. An employer can't just, you know, act like a dictator to their employees. So Musk has been pretty clearly anti-union over the years. I imagine this is not something he wants to hear. And considering that numerous studies have suggested that there's no drop in productivity with remote work situations, I feel pretty confident that a lot of Tesla employees see his demands as being unreasonable. Now, there are people who believe that the whole thing is kind of a work in the parlance of the squared circle, that is, of professional wrestling, uh, and that Musk's approach is really just an effort to convince at least some people at Tesla to pack their bags and leave, because that's one way you can reduce overhead without having to worry about paying out severance packages. If people quit, then you don't owe them severance. Uh, pretty cynical uh, observation doesn't necessarily mean it's inaccurate. I can't say one way or the other. And meanwhile, here in the United States, Tesla's legal team has accused the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, or DFEH, 
of skipping some key steps before that organization filed a lawsuit against Tesla, alleging racial bias and discrimination within the company, specifically within the Fremont, California factory. So this all stems from accusations that a former Tesla employee faced numerous incidents of racial abuse while working at Tesla. And the DFEH sued Tesla, but Tesla's legal team says that the DFEH failed to take some required steps that would normally include an attempt to mediate a dispute before it would actually go to court. The Tesla team then filed a petition with the Office of Administrative Law in California over the matter. And while it seems as though Tesla's objections have at least some merit, because the DFEH is supposed to follow certain protocols that it appears to have skipped, uh, it might end up all being moot anyway, because technically the legal team would have needed to file this petition before the legal case began. So in other words, it might just be too late for this to matter. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Blizzard has been having a pretty rough go of it recently. Uh, it's part of the massive company Activision Blizzard, which itself is mired in controversy, ranging from claims that the company harbored a toxic culture, claims that I should say seem to be largely substantiated, to uh, the company's attempts to discourage employees from being able to organize into unions. But the problems I really want to talk about with regard to Blizzard have to do with the actual games that the company is releasing and the response to those games. Uh, the games have been getting pounded by user ratings on Metacritic. So the most recent game, Diablo Immortal, uh, is a mobile game, and it's obviously an entry in the Diablo franchise, a long popular franchise. That game currently has a user rating on Metacritic of just 0.5 out of 10. Now, to be clear, the critic review score, at least for the iOS version, is sitting at 75 out of 100. So not great, but not awful either. However, that user score of 0.5, that is harsh as all heck. So why are the reviews so low? Well, it really comes down to microtransactions, and we've seen microtransactions worm into lots of different games over the last several years. They represent a way for a game to continue generating revenue indefinitely. You can even have free-to-play games that are only supported by microtransactions, but we've seen more and more even AAA titles include microtransactions. So you go out and you shell out, you know, 60, 70 bucks for a game, and then you are faced with all these other microtransactions as you continue to play. Some games, like Fortnite, have thrived on microtransactions and have done really well. And when they're implemented properly, they typically can be seen as, you know, harmless. Maybe a little irritating, but, you know, not, not really a problem. For example, uh, when all the things that you can buy are purely cosmetic, but otherwise they have no impact in how the game plays out, most gamers are going to begrudgingly accept that because at least it's not impacting the actual game experience. But in cases where the microtransactions can give players an advantage, things get pretty ugly. And it appears that in the end game, or really post game part of Diablo Immortal, where you've pretty much done all the, the content of the game, and then you start to focus on things like player versus player interactions, the person who is more willing to cough up cash for certain items is the one who's most likely to win those encounters. It becomes a pay-to-win scenario, in other words, and gamers really, really hate that. So the 0.5 score reflects this. 
Now, I should also point out, Metacritic doesn't have a system in place to determine if a person who's leaving a review has even actually played the game. So it's entirely possible that some or maybe even many of the negative reviews are from disgruntled gamers who haven't even touched the title. Anyway, this is the third Blizzard game in a row to receive a sub 1.0 score from users on Metacritic. It's not a great reputation to have. And again, it mostly doesn't seem to be targeted at the quality of the game itself, but more due to other things like microtransaction policies. You know that feeling that you get when something you own, like a car, gets scuffed up for the first time? Well, I imagine that's how some folks at NASA feel about the James Webb Space Telescope. The telescope, which occupies an orbit on the side of the Earth opposite the Sun, has been hit with some micrometeoroids. And that was to be expected. I mean, it's space, micrometeoroids are out there. It was going to happen. In fact, NASA knew that it would happen, designed the James Webb Space Telescope to be robust enough to handle that. But one of those impacts appears to be larger than what NASA was anticipating. Uh, now, the, that impact hasn't ruined the technology of the telescope or anything like that. But these impacts do degrade the telescope's performance, and so the more it gets hit by them, the less well it will perform. Uh, NASA stresses that right now it's not that big of a deal. The telescope is still an incredibly powerful piece of technology. It's going to do some amazing science. However, it is a reminder that space is a dangerous environment, and as I've said many times in the past, it's trying to kill you. NASA has also indicated that during more predictable events, such as a meteor shower, Engineers can actually reposition the telescope so that it can be more protective of its optical systems. It's just that in this case, this collision wasn't predictable, so it was unavoidable. Um, so hopefully we don't see too many of these, especially early on. I mean, we've just started using the James Webb Space Telescope. It hasn't even really gotten into some serious, serious research yet. So we definitely don't want to, uh, you know, pull the car out of the dealership lot take a right turn, and then immediately scrape up against a fire hydrant. That's what this kind of feels like. Okay, that bizarre analogy aside, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we've got a couple more stories I want to talk about. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. 
and you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Toyota and its subsidiary company Woven Planet demonstrated a prototype hydrogen cartridge that could be used in conjunction with fuel cells in the future. So this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about electric vehicles. You know, that seems to be the way that the world is moving, that that's going to be the, the, the next incarnation of the personal vehicle will be an electric vehicle. But some companies like Toyota have been pushing really hard for a while for fuel cell vehicles, which are very similar to electric vehicles, but with some key differences. The main one being that you do have to refuel them, uh, but in this case, hydrogen rather than, say, gasoline or diesel. So this cartridge is uh, uh, cylindrical and it has a handle on one end and it measures 16 inches or 400 millimeters in length and 7 inches or 180 millimeters in diameter. And when it's full, when it's filled with hydrogen, the cartridge weighs about 11 pounds or 5 kilograms. And the amount of hydrogen in one of these cartridges can supply about 3.3 kilowatt hours of energy. The cartridges are one way to really simplify the process of refueling fuel cells. So just in case you're not familiar with how fuel cells work, they are kind of like batteries, but a battery contains all the electrochemical components it needs to generate electricity. And then a lot of, you know, the rechargeable ones, you just end up putting electricity back into the battery and it reverses that, that chemical reaction so that it can happen again. So with fuel cells, you have to supply the fuel to the cell. The fuel undergoes this electrochemical reaction and in that process releases electrons. But afterwards, you can't reverse that process, at least not within the fuel cell itself. So with hydrogen fuel cells, this reaction happens between hydrogen gas and oxygen. So 
uh, I won't go into the, all the details of how it works, but what you get out of it is heat, electricity, and water. Those are your byproducts, you know, water vapor typically, because you're using operating temperatures that are high enough to evaporate water. Uh, but that's it. You don't have any carbon emissions or anything else. Uh, if you're assuming you're using pure hydrogen and pure oxygen in a, you know, hydrogen fuel cell. So this cartridge approach reminds me kind of the way propane tanks work, where you can, you know, get a propane tank for something like a gas grill. So you go out and purchase a new propane tank, or you could take a propane tank to a facility to refill it with more propane. I feel like that's kind of where Toyota and Woven Planet are going. They're also looking at a strategy that could include a delivery service as well. So presumably you could order a new cartridge when you start running low on hydrogen and they would bring it out to you, which is kind of a cool idea too. Toyota envisions hydrogen playing a huge role in our energy needs in the future, not just for our vehicles, but to power things like homes and businesses as well. There's still a lot of challenges that are standing in the way of that future. Hydrogen is the most plentiful element in our universe, which is great, but it also tends to bond with lots of other elements, which is less great, because in order for us to get at pure hydrogen, we typically first have to break the molecular bonds that hold the hydrogen onto the other stuff. And if the energy we're spending to get at the hydrogen is more than what we're going to get out of using the hydrogen as a fuel source, that's a net loss in energy. So you have to be really smart in the way you do this. For example, one way that you can get hydrogen is you can take water and you can run a, an electrical current through the water and that electrical current will break down the molecular bond between hydrogen and oxygen and it will release both as gases. So it's essentially the opposite uh, approach as to what a fuel cell does. And instead of uh, releasing electricity, it absorbs electricity in order to, for this to happen. And you have to have a smart way of doing that or else the question is, well, you know, why are we throwing in these extra steps? For example, if we were using solar energy to create the electrical current in order to generate hydrogen from water, someone might ask, well, why aren't we just using the electricity from the solar power directly? Why are we doing this middleman approach where we're trying to generate hydrogen out of all this? And that's a question you have to be able to answer. You have to be able to say, all right, in the long run, this makes more sense from a, an economy standpoint. And by economy, I don't just mean by financial cost, but energy economy. These are those, those kind of questions that if you're able to answer them sufficiently, then you can actually pursue this sort of future. Toyota's really been all in on this for years. Uh, I used to do a show that was sponsored by Toyota and fuel cell vehicles was one of the really big pushes back then. And that was almost a decade ago. So uh, it's still not really, I mean, there are fuel cell vehicles out there. It's not like it's just in the prototype stage. There actually are fuel cell vehicles out on the road, but it's not nearly as commonplace as I think Toyota was hoping for by this time. We'll have to see uh, I think steps like this are important toward getting to a hydrogen-based uh, energy economy, but I don't know yet that that is definitely where we're going to go. It seems to me like the electric vehicle approach uh, and and relying more on renewable energy sources, perhaps relying on fusion if we can get that to work out. Uh, that appears to be the path that we're taking right now. But who's to say? Finally, 
Google Maps now has an air quality layer overlay that you can use in the Android and iOS versions of the app. This is really useful if you live in a place where air quality can be dangerous, particularly for people who might have issues like asthma or other respiratory problems. So this map will show you what areas within your region have the cleanest air. And they determine this by using numerous sensors that use lasers to measure the amount of particulates in the atmosphere. Essentially, they're shining lasers out into the, the environment and then counting how many particulates pass through the pathway of that laser. So lower numbers are better because lower numbers indicate fewer particulates. So I decided to check it out on my phone to look at my area. The closest sensor to where I live here in Atlanta was at 23, which is in the good range. Uh, there was another one a little bit further out, closer to the uh, the middle of the city that was around 40. That's still in the good range. The The zero to 50 is, is good. 50 to 100 range is moderate. There was one spot in the Atlanta area I saw that was at moderate. And above that, you start getting into more dangerous territory with the air quality index on the app maxing out at 400. Uh, I actually looked at Los Angeles, which has lots of these sensors. Not a big surprise. The state of California has taken a pretty aggressive stance in trying to improve air quality in, in that state. Uh, so LA has lots of sensors, a lot more uh, densely packed sensors than I found in Atlanta. And even in LA, I only found a couple of areas where the numbers were up in the above 100 range, which is where you start to get into um, areas that could be potentially dangerous for those who have respiratory issues. Anyway, it's pretty cool. If you have Google Maps on an Android or iOS device, I suggest you check it out. It's just one of the little layers you can choose and you can kind of see what the air quality is like around where you live, assuming that, you know, they have some sensors deployed in that area. That's it for this tech news episode of Tech Stuff. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes or anything else you want to shout out to me, let me know. Best way of doing that? Well, there are a couple ways, really. One is you can use the iHeartRadio app. It's free to download. You can just go straight to the Tech Stuff podcast page within that app and use the talkback feature. It's a little microphone icon. You click on that, leave a message up to 30 seconds in length, and I'll hear it. Or you can let me know on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.